Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Um, right, so what we got here is a question which says, do you offer to remove birthmarks such as cafe au lait? So cafe au lait patches are slightly um, pigmented. Not they're, not they're not usually very darkly pigmented, but they're slightly pigmented, slightly brown patches. Uh, they're flat patches that uh, people have on their bodies, and I guess that would qualify as a birthmark so the answer to the question is plastic surgeons can remove anything you know a lot of people say oh tattoos do you do tattoos do you, do you know any bit of skin at any part of the body pretty pretty not even pretty much i think any bit of skin in any part of the body we can remove the problem with removing bits of skin whether it be a birthmark or a um or a mole or a uh, or a tattoo is it leaves you with a scar and therefore, it is not common for us to remove cafe au lait patches. So I would not commonly remove a cafe au lait patch because what I do involves um, excision, cut, cutting things out, which will leave a scar. And so it would depend on the size and location of the cafe au lait patches. They can be quite large, um, not necessarily though. But um, but they're usually not that much of a cosmetic burden, if you like, or they don't usually look that bad. And so if I go ahead and then put a big scar where the patch was, you may not be happy. You may be. We can have a chat about it. So I'm not saying I won't do it. I'm just saying it's not a common thing. Can't remember the last time I ever did one. Um, you know, it's just it's just a, a very lightly pigmented uh, area of skin. And so I probably wouldn't go down the excision route personally. But then at the end of the day, I'll be guided by you. It's not my body, your body. We can have a chat about it. Let's rap about it. Uh, Elaine Grant Hartland, can't wait to see you in six days. Not that I'm counting anything. Six days, I'm counting too. Elaine Grant, it is six days time till takeoff, till liftoff to the big day. Very, very exciting uh what we got here after having liposuction to the hips and thighs what happens to the excess skin in those areas does it sag or does it tighten this is a patient who's got uh, localized areas of uh, of fat on the hips and on the outer thighs the so-called terrible name of saddlebags but um it is not unusual to have uh, that sort of distribution of fat and this person is a great candidate for liposuction she's not overweight Liposuction is not a procedure for people who are overweight. It is a for, for procedure for people who've lost weight, who are comfortable with their weight, who have certain areas which are resistant to weight loss. And there are certain parts of the body that liposuction works well on. And the outer thighs and the hips are two of them. Um, the inner thighs, not so much. The abdomen, ab, the abdomen, abdomen, the abdomen, not so much. So a lot of people coming wanting a, a liposuction of the tummy. I pretty much don't do it because um, the problem with the tummy and the inner thigh is the skin doesn't recoil. And if the skin doesn't recoil and you suck out the fat and you have hanging skin, 
you can have a, an unhappy patient. So those areas, excisional procedures are better, tummy tuck or a thigh lift. Now a thigh lift addresses the inner thigh. The outer thigh has got thinner, a thicker skin, thicker dermis, and it tends to recoil a lot better. So the, in answer to your question, what happens to the excess skin in those areas, it tends to recoil. Now, it, you know, it might not, and certainly someone who's carrying a lot of weight, who's having a lot of the fat removed, it might not recoil sufficiently, but it would, in my view, be better to consider possibly doing an excisional procedure secondarily, unless there's obviously gonna be a lot of loose skin left behind. I, to be honest with you, I follow the same sort of um, process with gynecomastia. So my threshold has moved on from doing um, it, uh, skin excision in gynecomastia. Um, so I tend to do um, gynecomastia um, with liposuction and excision, a combination of those two things. And I tend not to excise skin unless there's an awful lot of skin and I really think it's not going to recoil. I feel it's better to see how it recoils and it might recoil sufficiently. And if it doesn't recoil sufficiently, you might be able to do a, a more limited skin uh, resection than you would have done if you'd done it first time. Not 100% true all the time. And some people are, um, you know, you do think look, you're going to need a skin excision because it's really not going to be good at all if you don't do it. So obviously there's sort of extremes, if you like. There's people who are definitely need a skin excision and there's people who definitely don't. But in the gray area, I'd be more inclined to avoid skin excision in gynecomastia and also in the outer thigh. So I would tend not to uh, bring it back to this question. The hips and the outer thighs, I tend not to do excisional skin. I don't tend to cut skin out. I, liposuction works well and the skin tends to recoil. Depends on how much skin there is, depends on how much it's been stretched, depends on the quality of the skin. Have you been looking after your skin? Have you been not smoking, staying out of the sun? drinking plenty, all these things improve your skin and elasticity, not getting old. So, you know, getting old, smoking and getting in the sun will all cause us to lose our skin elasticity. So there's less uh, recoil. So obviously it depends on different people, but as a general principle, that's where I am with that one. Corinne, what you got? Uh, hope you had a good day. I have had a good day, Corinne. Um, I was looking forward to today because I, I don't normally do a clinic on a Tuesday, but I did a clinic today, just saw a couple of patients and uh, quite nice, you know, only problems I've got to do another one tomorrow, but you know, hey-ho, kind of everything, but it was a nice day today. I did plan to get off earlier than I did though, Corinne, um, and I did go to TK Maxx on the way home. I wanted to buy something uh, specifically and I couldn't find it. I wanted to buy some little cards. I couldn't find them, you know, not thank you cards, just little cards. Um, but um, so that was a bit of a blow. And my son's train was cancelled as well, but my wife picked him up. So, you know, a bit ropey at the end of the day, but certainly the big part of the day. And I had a call at three, which was cancelled as well, which was a bit frustrating because it was some software in um, America that I was supposed to be having a look at. But that, that was a bit of a frustration. But you can't have everything. Um, but yes, Corinne, I don't think you probably want, didn't want that amount of uh, detail, but hey-ho, um, probably, probably over overshared there. Um, do we remove cysts located in the hair? Yeah, duh. I mean, one of the things about uh, the hair 
is that when you start in um, A&E and things, they always make you do the scalp lacerations. They always make you do people who've got these cuts in the hair. And the reason they do that is because it doesn't matter if you don't lining it up very well. It doesn't matter if you don't get a very good scar because it's hidden in the hair and it doesn't matter. Sounds awful. Whereas the facial lacerations, they call in plastic surgeons, say we mustn't do those. We must get the plastic surgeon to do the facial lacerations. Now I'm at the other end of it. I'd much rather do a facial laceration than a scalp laceration. Scalp lacerations are a bit of a nightmare, or even, even scalp incisions are a bit of a nightmare. There's hair all over the place. Personally, I don't particularly like uh, shaving big areas of the head, so I don't like shaving the head. Obviously, it'd be a lot easier if we just shaved the head and could get some nice stitches in and the hair wouldn't get caught in it, but I don't like shaving the head, um, so I tend not to shave the head, And um, uh, but it does make it a real bit awkward when you're stitching it up because the hairs can get caught and you have to keep on getting the hairs out so but you know it's absolutely fine to remove this locating in the hair and moles are located in the hair and anything you know you can you can cut things out in in the hair and as I say personally I try and avoid shaving the hair myself I try and leave I might take out of the hair that's in the bit of skin that I'm removing obviously obvs but um but yeah cysts in the hair walk in the park Corinne, what you got? I can never find anything to take back since my oh, Corinne, I'm the opposite. See, I don't like having the choice of anything. TK Maxx have got like one or two things. You think, do you like it? Yes. If you don't know, move on. You know? I'm the opposite, Corinne. I love a brow, I love to browse in TK Maxx Max. I'll set it, set it live on air. I do love a bit of TK Maxx. And HomeSense, mind you. Um, what we got here? Can I have a mole removed whilst pregnant? This is a good question. Um, the answer to this question is, basically we try and avoid doing stuff when you're pregnant. We try and avoid giving you, you know, even sort of painkillers and, you know, just, just try and avoid taking stuff into your body when you're pregnant. So um, if, you, if it's something like a cosmetic thing that you don't like the mole, it's catching, it's annoying you, I would probably say wait until you've, you've delivered your child and have it later just because you know while the, the the baby's forming and everything you don't really want to be putting i mean local anesthetic i'm sure you know is fine and if you have to have an operation if you you know you know fracture your skull and have a bleed or something you know you have, if you have to have a surgery you'll you can have surgery but it's better not to have you know stuff done um the thing is if you're worried about the mole then yes you should get it checked out and if there is a worry that maybe it's a melanoma or something then Yes, I think it'd be worth removing it. Now, one thing I would say, moles do tend to go darker during pregnancy. So that's something to be aware of. Um, they do tend to darken during pregnancy. But having said that, if you are worried about it, then definitely get it checked out. And if it is um, uh, any concern, yes, we can remove it while while you are pregnant. There's a few things. you have to, I mean, obviously, the, the local anesthetic has to be careful lying on your back, um, especially if you're sort of later on with a, a big gravid uterus um but um there's a few things we have to be aware of but it but we but we can do it can be done but uh only if, if it has to be done really if it could if it can wait it's probably better to wait we've got lanes lax on the scalp is a nightmare they are a nightmare absolute nightmare they always give it to the to the junior person um and and you know at the time you think god this is really hard God help me how to do a face laceration, but you don't realise the face is a hell of a lot easier than the than the uh, than the scalp. Yeah, the hair's in the way all over. I have to 
do it put sort of like ky jelly or something to try and get the hair out of the way and everything but um but yeah it, it is difficult doing stuff on the scalp but can be done no problem at all um this question here says how many steroid injections are required following an intra a an intralesional excision of keloid scar so yes this is a patient um who's asking this question so in fact a prospective patient i don't think uh, they are a patient at the moment but thinking of being a patient so think about keloid scars keloid scars are a lot of lumpy scars and to be honest with you we would only think of doing surgery a late stage it's really one of the last things you do for a keloid scar um, they are um, uh, caused by your body's reaction to the scarring your body has scarred too much and so if we cut it out and stitch it up what's to stop your body doing the same thing again what's to stop your body forming another keloid scar um, and potentially bigger than the first keloid scar because you can maybe get a little sometimes a little piercing or a little tiny little um injury that you can then get this keloid scar which is much bigger than the than the piercing or whatever the the injury was and and so that's one of the the hallmarks of the keloid scar is bigger than the original trauma so if you um do if you have a piercing and get a big keloid scar if we then cut out that big keloid scar and give you a scar like that then potentially that could then exponentially get bigger again and then we're in a right old um fix so what we do is something called an intralesional excision which means um, cutting within the keloid we don't cut normal skin so we don't cut the scar out and then stitch it up and give you a, you know a fresh scar and fresh skin all the stitches are within keloid so it's a it's a, called an intralesional excision so lesion is 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 the is the keloid a lesion just means a a, um, a thing you know a lump or something so uh, it's an intralesional excision so that means we leave behind a rim of keloid so this we're stitching in the keloid and so therefore if you want to get rid of that keloid then you can then do steroid injections you've converted a very big keloid into a much smaller one which you can then do steroid injections personally i wait two weeks before i start my steroid injections i know that some people do it straight away which is fine i worry about it um uh affecting the healing i noticed just my call my eye here instagram is saying what's he doing just here steroid is spelled wrong it's oid and i don't know why intralesional is in capitals um so uh yeah personally i'll wait two weeks but um oh so the question the question if this was on youtube they'd say scroll to three minutes 36 to get the answer he's rambling on that's what they do honestly anyway um yeah i am rambling on so here comes the answer how many story injections depends <laughs> what a nightmare answer that is i mean you don't need any injections if you let if you're happy with a little rim of keloid then then you can leave it i normally do a session uh, in, in terms of steroid injections as a rule so a smaller keloid that doesn't need intralesional excision that you treat with injections i normally do a course of three and then see how leave it a few months before doing another course of three i don't want to keep on doing steroid injections usually about six weeks apart but it depends it depends on how much you're bothered by it depends if you're symptomatic the itch can also often be helped by injections as well as the raised and the red nature of the scar um so you might have one injection and think it's fine you can play it by ear and come back if you need to or you can have more injections sometimes you need it needs to be repeated now i am aware that you need to pay for the injections so you might think they're not worth it fine don't have them um but often you might need 
several to one, two, three, but uh, we will be guided by you and, and how well the injections are working. If you think the injections are working, we'll carry on having them. If you don't think they're working, then uh, don't have any more. So it is a bit like guided by you really, as, as rather than just saying this is a number of injections. Um, Louise, hello, JJ, hope you're well. Hello, Louise, I hope you're well. Nice to see you this evening. Um, can I ask whether a drop in breast implants eight months in surgery to one centimeters is an issue um will it get worse size was 300 cc so very sensible joint choice so this patient um has said that she's had surgery she's obviously eight months post-op uh, i think she's doing running and things and she's worried about the dropping thing and i think the scar i think i think what's happened is the implants are settled and the scar has has migrated up up a bit from what she's what she's describing to me, um, and she's concerned that the migrate the scar has migrated um, above the inframammary fold. Now, in my hands, and with all of these things, the answer is always talk to your surgeon. So that's the I need to have a thing a banner going around the bottom. Talk to your surgeon. Talk to your surgeon. So talk to your surgeon about this. But anyway, I'll give you. I'll put my um, I'll put my my oar in. Um, so. Um, the scar often migrates above the fold. So the scar is not always right bang in the fold. You don't want the scar below the fold because then you can see it from the front. So it, sometimes it migrates up above the fold, which can help help because it doesn't sort of go right on where the wire of the bra is. So, um, so that's not necessarily a bad thing. Now, the problem with this uh, thing is that we are, I always say, well, I don't always say it. Um, well, I don't very often say it, but I always think, Someone said, I can't remember who it was, it was obviously a surgeon when I was in training and things, that we operate in four dimensions. You know, the three dimensions of, you know, X, Y, Z, Z, how you say it, but then the fourth dimension is time. And this is makes this job tricky because implants are often slash always a bit high to start with. They're often high to start with and then they settle. And in this situation, this person is obviously worried the implants are settling too much. And I think she's not stopped running and stuff and is worried they're going to continue to to sort of to go south and, and cause an issue. Um, and it's sort of saying, when are they going to stop? It's really hard. I mean, I haven't got an answer for that. Um, eight months is a good amount of time. And, I, and again, talk to your surgeon. But personally, I wouldn't not run. I would run. I mean, it's not like implant so running is going to make your implants go south. Certainly eight months post-op anyway. Um, so I would definitely run. And I would say it's normal for the implants to settle. They often are high and then they settle. Now, the point they settle to is very high. You know, I can't say whether it's going to settle more or not. I don't know. Um, it, it might settle more. I mean, eight months, you can be a year, two, three years for these things to really fully settle. I don't think it's going to drastically settle more. Um, but it is very common for the implants to drop and they often sit high and they often, the problem is they look a bit weird when you first have it done and they are, often start a bit sort of almost abnormally high. And then they, the hope is they settle into a great place and they look perfect. But obviously, you know, it's not a precise science. They might not settle enough and they might stay too high or they might settle too much and they go too low. In my experience, it's usually that they're too high rather than they're too low. Um, and it's certainly easier to correct a problem that they're too high because you just release the capsule and bring them down. When they're too low, it is a little bit more difficult to correct because you have to redefine the fold, which is a bit more of a, um, 
technical challenge. So I would say that they might drop a bit more, even though it's eight months post-op. It wouldn't. I wouldn't let it stop you doing stuff. If you want to do running, if you want to do exercise and things personally, as I say, talk to your surgeon. I don't know how your healing was. I don't know how you know you're going and things. But in general terms, someone eight months post-op, I would say to them, get exercising, get your you know mental health and all this physical and mental health, you know all that sort of stuff. And um, and I hope it won't drop, drop more. But I can't say it won't drop more. Or it was, I don't know. Just see what happens. Live a life. Roll the dice and take your chances. That doesn't sound good, does it? No, don't do that. Just but just carry on with your life and hopefully it'll be all right. Juanita is in the house. Hi, Juanita. Nice to see you here this evening. Um, I've got a question here. I'd be interested in JJ's view on stopping drinking green tea prior to surgery due to due to some research suggesting it can impact clotting. So this is a I mean I've seen people who give like massive things to patients to say this is not you're not to take this herbal remedy this that this and that it causes clotting it stops clotting it causes wound healing problems it does this it does that and the fact of the matter is they do they they do do stuff they do do they do do don't they they do do stuff so I think you're right. I think green tea does um, cause um, a reduction in clotting. Now, the problem with this is twofold. Number one fold is I don't have a big list of things that I tell people to stop doing. Um, you know, there, there are an awful lot of herbal remedies. And, you know, I obviously look at the medication you're on because there's certain medications that can cause clotting but i don't go so far as to say um to, to to look at non um sort of herbal things like this um and personally i also don't tell people not to have non-steroidals because there are some drugs non-steroidal anti-inflammatories ibuprofen diclofenac aspirin voltrol those sorts of things can increase uh bleeding so um and the reason for that it's the yin and the yang. Yeah, it's the yin and the yang. There's good and there's bad. So there's good stuff about bleeding and there's bad stuff about bleeding. Because I've got to be honest with you, the thing that I worry more about is clotting rather than bleeding. So I worry more about DVT PE than I do about bleeding. If you have a DVT or a PE, if you have a blood clot, uh, usually starts in your leg, DVT, deep vein thrombosis, and then fly, can fly off in your lung, PE, pulmonary embolus. So that is a bad thing to happen. That is a terrible thing to happen. And, you know, it is something that would be very uh, frightening. If you have too much bleeding and you have a hematoma, it's bad having a hematoma. You have to go out to theatre. It's horrible. You have another anaesthetic. It keeps you in hospital. It's knocks you back on your recovery but it's 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 not going to kill you let's face it you know so it is it is not as bad in my view to have a hematoma i mean obviously you don't want to have a hematoma or a clot obviously um but the amount of medication the amount of things that can skew the balance one way or the other i tend not to go down the route to tell people to to stop it perhaps i should have done 
um, but I don't. And I think that, as I say, um, if it does in encourage bleeding or stop clotting, then maybe it reduces your risk of DVT and PE, which is a good thing. Because let's face it, we give you clexane post-op, which is a blood thinner. So, you know, we do want the blood to be thin to a certain degree, but we don't want it so thin that you get a hematoma. So it is a balance. It is difficult. And so I, uh, and so there, I don't think the people who are out there telling people to stop green tea or St. John's wort or goodness knows what um, are wrong. I don't think they're wrong. They just have their view. I have my view. I don't think there's much science as to what we should do on these circumstances. And I think it's, I can understand why someone might tell people to stop it. But I think it does become, I mean, probably the big one actually is um, hormonal, uh, hormonal medication, estrogen containing like HRT, basically, because HRT can cause clotting. So that's actually a bigger deal. And I don't tell people to stop that either, um, because con contraceptive pill, also the contraceptive pill, same, can, these things can increase clotting, so go the other way. Um, but I don't tell people to stop that because it's a big deal. You have to stop that six weeks before. It's a big deal to stop that. You stop uh, the contraceptive pill six weeks before. You've got to put into place uh, alternative forms of contraception. And there's potential morbidity there if you have unwanted pregnancies. And, you know, there's morbidity associated with that. So nothing is um, without problems. Stopping things, you know, stopping things is not without problems and not stopping things can cause problems so both can cause problems and you have to weigh it up and so i weigh it up and i say look I don't tell you to stop the uh, estrogen containing medication but we do everything we can to increase blood flow and stop clots so get you up and walking as soon as possible ted stockings photron boots keep everything circulating keep you well hydrated if you're having a big op give you clexane so that's all that that's where i am on my on my fence so that's the side of the fence i'm on but uh, you will find people on different sides of the fence, which is why, you know, I always say to people talk to their surgeons because other surgeons might have different views on it. But um, that is a, my view on it. Thank you for asking, Juanita. Thank you very much. Right, I am going to go and lie, lie down then. I will see you all next week. Uh, I'll see you then next week. Have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.